This is A New Angle, a show about cool people doing awesome things in and around Montana. I'm your host, Justin Angle. This show is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. Hey folks, welcome back and thanks for tuning in. Today I am speaking with Dylan Cherulo and Wendy Owens. Dylan is an economics student at the University of Montana and a program assistant at the Blackstone Launchpad. Wendy is the founder and CEO of Hexus Biomass, and she's also Dylan's mom. But you really got to commit to believing in you. Uh, and if you can't believe in yourself, you're going to have to find a way in, in order to succeed and go forward and, and be happy in life. Dylan has spent almost the entirety of his college experience immersed in Montana's entrepreneurial community. Perhaps he gets that spirit from his mother. I'm excited to find out. Dylan, Wendy, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah, so we'll start with the way we always do, and that is tell us where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Wendy, why don't we start with you? Let's see. My parents took us from Texas to Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., for a job that my dad had at the White House uh, for about four or five years. Yeah. What was that job? Um, he was an economic advisor to four presidents. So that job kept him in Washington a long time? Yeah, we were there. I think uh, I was there for 19 years of my life, yeah. Okay. Well, Dylan, where did you grow up and what did your parents do? Or what are your parents doing, I guess we could, <laughs> we could say? Yeah, they... Uh... Still got a few years left in them yet, uh, but I was uh, I was born in Boston, uh, where my parents were at grad school and then had some jobs and uh, grew up mostly in Olympia, Washington, though. Uh, and my dad is the chief financial officer at the uh, city of Tacoma, and my mom does a lot of awesome things that I hope we can get into. Exactly. We'll talk about a lot of those things, but let's start with your deep connection to the University of Montana. You are a senior here, finishing up your degree in about a month, and early congratulations for you. But talk about your connection to the university. It goes, it goes deep. So I'm a third-generation Grizz. Uh, my dad's mom, uh, my grandma, uh, went here, and I actually currently live with her in Missoula in her basement. She's mm. been very gracious to let me stay there uh, rent-free for a while. Uh, and then my dad also went to the University of Montana. Uh, so, you know, this is something that's been in our family for, for generations, and Missoula's always been, you know, a place we go to visit grandma. I've been coming here geez, mom, all my life, you know, you took me out here yeah. when I was really little. Uh, so it felt very comfortable coming here and I'm very excited to continue that legacy in my family. Dylan, during your time here, it does seem like you've tried explicitly to maximize the experience. You're highly involved in so many things, David Honors College, you're involved in research, Accelerate Montana, you work for Match Coach, which is a, an up-and-coming uh, startup in the coaching space. Hexus, which we'll get to in collaboration with your mother, um, and the Blackstone Launchpad. A theme that ties all those things together, in my view, is a very entrepreneurial spirit. Describe your kind of approach to your, your, your time here on campus. I got involved kind of in the entrepreneurship uh, realm in high school, thanks to my mom, uh, partnering with her on projects with Hexus. And I just loved it. Uh, I was totally hooked working in that space. I love the fast-paced environment, the the critical thinking, the research, the fact that you know you're doing a new thing every day. And so when I came to college, you know, I really wanted to stay in that space. Uh, and so that started off with me getting involved with uh, at the time Bridgeable, which then became Match Coach, and then uh, getting involved more with the Blackstone Launchpad because they are the ones that are helping the entrepreneurs here 
at the University of Montana, and then also uh, now with a few more programs throughout the entire state of Montana. Yeah, what is it about entrepreneurship that's appealing? I mean, growing up in a family uh, with with an entrepreneurial mother, you have to be immersed in it from the very get go. Why did you choose that as kind of the the, the sea to swim in here? I think it speaks to uh, a lot of different things that I learned growing up. You know, the the kind of independence. Uh, you know, being the oldest child, my mom will definitely attest that I've been pretty independent <laughs> as much as I can be throughout my life. And I think entrepreneurship is kind of the epitome of that, being your own boss, um, going out and kind of weathering the seas on your own, figuring things out. Uh, even though you are never you know, truly alone entrepreneurship, it is kind of uh, your, your ship to sail, your ship to write. Every day we're doing, as an entrepreneur or working with a startup, you're doing something that no one else has ever done before. Mm, yeah. And that, to me, just when I had that epiphany, like blew my mind. I was like, yes, that is so cool. Uh, something I want to keep doing the rest of my life. Excellent. And, and, and Wendy, I mean, you, you've done so many things in your career, uh, some entrepreneurial and some in other avenues. Kind of describe your sort of professional disposition and how you've approached opportunity over the years. Well, it definitely has not been a straight line Yeah, from, from what I did when I was in graduate school. I, I think similar to Dylan, uh, you know, it, it's these new challenges. Um, I get bored with the, the management, let's just say, uh, opportunities in life. And I'm more excited about the creativity that goes along with building something new mm-hmm. uh, and all the different aspects and reading the tea leaves and uh, gaining significant amounts of knowledge in areas that you may not have been involved in previously. And so consequently, I like to be my own boss and to you know, seek out those challenges that challenge me intellectually, but sometimes I'm challenged physically as well, getting out in the field and planting things. Sure. You know, I have a master's degree in classical studies from Tufts University and uh, use it all the time in the sense that, that it was an excellent foundation for being able to look back in history and understand what's happened in the past, understand people and systems and regulations and so forth. But uh, it's it's really allowed me the carte blanche to do what I am interested in. So I've been fortunate that way. I'd love to kind of explore one thread that seems to tie your experiences together, and that is what appears to be a dedication to some form of social welfare, to making the communities, people in the place in which you're living um, better than it was before, make a contribution. How, how do you think about that? I think that any business that you're going to do should have an impact. And that's just simply good business, right? Doing right by people, doing right by the planet, et cetera, is simply good business because exploitation runs us all into the ground and is not beneficial to anybody. So when we have the opportunity to pair uh, the entrepreneurial effort with having a social impact, uh, that's that's really where I've always uh, played in that, that space. So it's important for my kids, right? And I want them to have uh, a healthy planet, uh, healthy lives, healthy environment in terms of uh, our political and social environments. So making a difference is the way to perpetuate the good things about the human race going forward. And that's where I really come from. Absolutely. And Dylan, how does that land with you? I mean, you're, you've studied economics here. You've been immersed in entrepreneurship, so you've seen, yeah, you've made choices about what entrepreneurial ventures you participate in, but in your seat at the Blackstone Launchpad, you see a ton of different ventures coming through. 
how does this um, this notion of of doing good by people and planet uh, resonate with you? Yeah, I think that resonates with me loud and clear. We have such a strong environmental ethos throughout our student community, our our faculty. Uh, you know, even in the economics program, you know, most of our economists here are environmental economists. Mm-hmm. Everything is focused on the environment. And so most of the ventures coming out of here are as well. And so it's something that I'm seeing is key to the mission of most, if not all, of the ventures that are being launched by my peers. And there, there's so many of those that are doing so much good. Uh, one that I know of uh, that's very prominent is Smart Dorm. Their whole mission is to reduce carbon emissions uh, via energy optimization software and large-scale housing facilities. Okay. And like they, they launched that with the expressed goal of you know, reducing carb- the carbon footprint of these facilities while saving them money. And that's good business. Was there a formative experience, whether in the classroom or maybe even before you got to college that made you think, like, I want to take these things seriously? Growing up in the outdoors, you know, my mom and dad took, took us out all the time. Uh, we went on, you know, I remember being dragged along on hikes when I was like really <laughs> little, <laughs> maybe not being as enthusiastic about it as I should. Sure. Um, but I think the, the, the one moment that really stands out to me where I was like, okay, I need to be doing all that I can to be, do good for the planet was... Um, I did a National Outdoor Leadership School course uh, in Alaska in summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. My mom uh, kind of pushed me on that track. She did two of those herself. Right. Yeah, um, that is a connection. So that is a connection <laughs> there. And so I remember one day we were hiking uh, in the Chugach Mountains in, uh, in Alaska, and we wanted to go to this big, what well, we saw on the map to be a big glacier. Uh, and when we walked over there, we come around the bend, and we just see this like just little pile of snow in this massive bowl. And so in the 20 years from the time that our maps were made to the time that we were there, like it, it, the glacier receded hundreds and hundreds of feet. Mm-hmm. And I remember standing there and like just looking up this desolate rock and just being like, wow, this is so much more real than seeing any picture on the internet or anything like this. Something needs to change and it needs to change very quickly. You know, so, so Wendy, hearing Dylan recount his Knowles experience, uh, that is something that the two of you share in common. And you mentioned that a moment ago. You took two Knowles courses yeah, describe that experience and why you were excited for Dylan to participate in one himself. My first Knowles course was in Wyoming, and it was a month-long course like Dylan did. It was, it was strictly mountaineering. I can say that I was just simply blown away by the experience. This first course, I was like, well, this is it. This is who I am. This is where I want to be, which is out in the Wind Rivers, uh, you know, fly fishing and hiking and, and really being physically challenged. And then also, at the same time, having this outdoor classroom that Knowles creates. And then my second course was during my gap year, uh, right after I finished high school, I did semester. Okay. And one of the interesting things that happened to me as well when I was out there was we were supposed to go skiing in Idaho in December as part of our winter travel, but there wasn't enough snow. Hmm. And so even then we were having the impact of climate change happening. So we had to go somewhere else in order to go to ski. We'll be back to my conversation with Wendy Owens and Dylan Cherullo after this short break. A New Angle is supported by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and UM's College of Business. Access to capital, broadband, and education are three ingredients any community needs for success. I'm Maureen Dowd of the New York Times, and you're listening to A New Angle. Welcome back to A New Angle. I'm speaking with Wendy Owens and her son, Dylan Cherullo, about their exciting new venture, Hexus. 
Well, let's pivot to that company, Hexus. For listeners that don't know about Hexus, Wendy, tell us what is Hexus and what problem are you trying to solve? Hexus is a company that produces a plant-based fiber that can substitute for or supplement wood and fossil fuel-based raw materials. So we grow it from what we call xanograss, and we call this fiber xanofiber. And the xanograss looks like corn and bamboo had a baby. It's this big, mm. tall stalk with big corn leaves. But if you strip those leaves off, then it looks like bamboo, uh, actually in the same family as both. Uh, and we can take the fiber from those stalks and produce drop-in ready raw materials that can be used right now. We're using them to produce things like fiberboard, so particle board for furniture and other applications for paper products and uh, moldable fiber packaging. Uh, and then also on the bioenergy side, this uh, fiber can be converted into the biofuels that can eventually become sustainable aviation fuel, for example. Hmm. Okay. So there's lots of applications. You think of where you can apply wood or where you can apply bamboo, uh, we, we can go into these same applications. And, and why is the material that you create superior to the existing uh, options in the marketplace? Lower costs okay. than wood, for example. And we can harvest every year and we produce a significant amount of biomass on a per acre basis. So over a 10 to 20 year period, we'll produce five times more biomass than an acre of trees, mm. for example. And we can harvest every year. And it's a perennial crop, which means we plant it one time and we're harvesting this crop every year for 15 to 20 years. Okay. We also can grow it in multiple different locations. So we can grow it where we would get snow and, and some cold, not, not freezing for long periods, but then also, you know, right at the equator where it's very hot uh, and we can produce it there. So that gives us a lot of uh, variety in terms of production locations included. And one of the things people always think about these purposely grown crops is, oh, you're going to displace food crops. Right. Not the case here because we can grow in the highly salinated soils. We can grow in the poor soils, therefore not displacing food crops. But in two, three, five years, we'll actually turn that soil into be usable soil again. So soil that's sufficiently fertile, has the right microbiome, has been uh, you know, more carbon sunk into the ground so that it could be converted back into food use for production or for uh, rewilding, for example. Hmm. So you think of all the sugarcane plantations and strip mines and uh, the 208 million acres of abandoned cropland around the world that there is no monetary incentive to repair, there would be monetary incentive because we'd be producing fiber for specific applications off of that land. Dylan, talk about your role in this venture. It's been, you know, you mentioned it's, it's been a family sort of proposition from the start. Yeah, it really, it really has been. Um, I would say everyone in the family's chipped in uh, <laughs> at some point in some way. Uh, and in high school, I started off uh, just kind of helping out a little bit of manpower, a little bit of hand, uh, hand labor. Then uh, during my, between my uh, sophomore, junior, and then also junior, senior year of high school, uh, I helped my mom um, specifically go through some accelerator programs. Uh, the Cascaded Clean Tech Accelerator mm -hmm. uh, is one that we did together. And I was kind of just another person in the room. I helped out with the trade shows, uh, sat in all the informational sessions, everything like that, helped take notes. Of recently, uh, this summer, I uh, spent a lot, a lot of hours out in the field how did Xanograss come to be, Wendy? What's the origin story of the, the plant itself? A friend of mine showed me this wild grass 
And my background's materials engineering and biotech. So I've done a lot of work in that. When I looked at this grass, I thought, wow, that could be an excellent substitute in terms of for structural applications in place of wood. There's many places around the world that don't have the kind of the, the, the level of wood that we have here and the luxury we have in the United States. So, you know, looking at it from a structural application and I just couldn't get out of my head. And I was um, at the time uh, working in a, a national nonprofit running uh, studies for the CDC. And I really wanted to get back into the entrepreneurial thing. So got the boys old enough so that mama could go back and do more entrepreneurial work and then bootstrapped Hexus. And during that bootstrap time was uh, selectively breeding this grass. Does your company primarily grow this crop or are you looking for franchisees or whatever the right term is, like farmers to allocate some of their crops or develop planting areas in some of these areas that haven't been able to grow? Like what's what's the model there of production? Sure. Well, we have what I call our farm to fiber platform, which includes the propagation of the plants, the production uh, of the plants uh, along with farmers. Uh, and then we work with them on the technical side to help them meet their volume metrics. Okay. And then we will harvest and process that material. So what we sell is the fiber, the end fiber, but we do work with farmers during that process for production. If we need a lots of land, for example, over 2,000 acres, uh, we likely would lease land or, or purchase our land ourselves. Okay. When you hear about sort of new crops or innovation in the agricultural space, Sometimes there's criticism about biodiversity or genetic engineering or biological engineering or upsetting some natural system. How do you respond to that? Is that, is that an issue of concern in this space at all? Or is this uh, strictly no negative externalities to think of? Oh, no, of course, there's going to be people who question the value of these purposefully grown crops is what they're called. Okay. Really what we we address is several things, that um, by not using farmland that is capable of producing food, we are not removing food from from people's mouths, essentially, right? Okay. Yeah. And then we are providing farmers who have this type of not usable land with revenue. Mm. With a new form of revenue that they don't have and they couldn't have because their 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 land literally will not produce food anymore. So consequently, when we talk about biodiversity, we don't want a monocrop. So we actually right now in Europe grow alongside wheat. Okay. Uh, we also make sure that we have an ecological balance for pollination in the plantings, as well as uh, we call them pollination stations, as well as some wild plants that are native uh, to make sure that we have pathways for animals to move around and um, that we respect the land and the people around the land as well uh, to make sure that they are, we're not interrupting their livelihoods. And so how do we also think about xenograss and xanophil in terms of you know the carbon cycle? How does it relate to the alternatives or the, the, the status quo in terms of you know, benefits uh, for, for the carbon side of the, the atmosphere and the environment? So xenograss puts down extensive root systems. And because it grows so high, and you've probably heard this about trees, you know, the higher, higher the tree, the more roots you need to have to keep that tree stable. Right. Even here in Washington State, we'll get stalks that are 20 feet tall. But down in our growing site in Hawaii, we'll get 30 plus foot tall stalks. Wow. So, and the fact that it grows so quickly in a single growing cycle means it's going to be 
um, needing to have that stability uh, in order to grow tall and strong and not just blow over. So we put a significant amount of root material into the ground down past that uh, 60 centimeter mark. So we're seeing over a ton of additional soil carbon added every year on a per acre basis by this plant. Uh, we're actually doing work right now with the USDA in Arkansas on one of the research farms to really optimize the protocol for measuring the amount of carbon that we're putting into the soil because we do go so deep. And just to be clear, that's a that's a positive putting carbon in the soil, right? That's removing carbon from the atmosphere, right? Right, right. Okay. So that that is below the soil. And then above the soil, as we look at using the stock material for long-term building applications, structural applications, such as engineered uh, beams and engineered products, mm-hmm. uh, then we have that carbon in at the above ground stock that uh, can be deployed long-term in structures and those types of applications. Dylan, I'm going to give you a chance to uh, celebrate your mom here a little bit. Your, your mom is a 2023 Cartier Women's Initiative Fellow, and you got to go and celebrate that honor. You got to go to Europe with her and some others. Talk about that honor and, and, and watching your, your, your mom and her success be celebrated. What did that feel like to you? I've seen all the hard work that's gone into this. I, I, I've been there, you know, I've seen the, the painting root, the root compound at the little plastic table, you know, all the, all the time out in the field, all, all that type of stuff. I've seen all that, uh, seen all the hard work that, that goes in. And then to see it, my mom walking up on stage with some of the most prestigious people in the entire world and, and to end up winning first place in this competition, I remember sitting third row and just, just so many emotions, so many great emotions of, of, how proud I was that my mom was doing this and how, how incredible it is that she's able to, to have this opportunity. Super. So Wendy, let's get your take on it. I mean, people might know not know what this fellowship is all about. They hear of Cartier and they think fancy watches or, you know, right. really fancy jewelry, but it's also a tremendous honor. Talk about the honor and, 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 and what responsibilities it comes with. The Cartier Women's Initiative has been around for 16 years. And it is an initiative that recognizes and brings together women from literally around the world uh, who are having a tremendous impact in terms of social, environmental, et cetera, on the world around them through the businesses that they started. So these are CEOs from Africa and Asia, Australia, US, um, Canada, Mexico, all around the world who are selected through a at least six months process as Cartier fellows for a year. And then we are lifelong fellows and Cartier continues to support us uh, in many different ways. I applied and then went through the due diligence process and was selected as one of the uh, the fellows from North America. And there's three from North America selected every year. Okay, so I'll give you the turn, Wendy, to gush about Dylan here. Uh, you know, he's finishing up his time here at the University of Montana and in the running for some super prestigious honors, scholarships, graduate school, a really bright future ahead. How are you feeling about um, all the accolades he's uh, collected so far and, and, and what you think his future will bring? Of course, I couldn't be more proud. I mean, being his mama, right, and knowing him from his little, that little tiny baby, uh, to all the things that he's been able to accomplish, uh, the challenges he's been able to overcome. But he's the one who's executed on this. My husband and I never have had to uh, 
say, oh, go get your homework done or go make sure this is taken care of. Or, and we have it. That was just, it's just the nature of this child uh, as to who he is and what he then is able to represent from our family of all of the values we'd hoped that he would learn. And he has done a beautiful job. And final thoughts here. I mean, one of the, the, the reason I was particularly excited for this conversation is this kind of generational spirit of not only entrepreneurship, but of giving back and doing right. You know, Dylan, what advice would you have for incoming college students, young people looking at the world and trying to find their way? You know, what advice would you have for, for them? If someone's coming into college, you know, you might have an inkling you want to do pre-med or, you know, study this or study that. Like I had inklings about what I wanted to do coming in, but I found a lane that I really love. And if you are able to find that and just lean into that, you'll do very well because if you love what you do every day, you're going to get a lot farther than someone who just loves that end point, that, you know, big doctor salary, someone who loves the act of being a doctor, being in med school, putting in the work to do that, or an entrepreneur, if someone's just looking at that, you know, Zuckerberg's net worth every day, and they don't love the act of starting a business, of working through the challenges, doing the critical thinking, boots on the ground stuff, they're, they're not going to get nearly as far as someone who, who does. Hey, great advice. W Wendy, I'll ask you to reflect on the similar topic. You've walked this walk for many years, but you're also the mom of, of four children who are also who are working through this experience themselves. What advice would you have for, for students or peers trying to um trying to just maximize their time here on this place? I would say believe in yourself. Mm. Uh, you know, it's hard to have society and all the the things coming at you all the time. You know, you have to be this and you need to do that and you need to sit down and you need to turn in your homework and all these sort of things. Uh, and that, that, of course, shapes us. But, you know, the entrepreneurial side of things, I would say, has taught me that I have to believe in myself. And that, and that sometimes is, is hard to do because, you know, you're building the bridges, you're crossing it. But you need to also then say, okay, I've got all this great advice, but what do I want to do? What makes me happy, like Dylan says? But you really got to commit to believing in you. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't believe in yourself, you're going to have to find a way in, in order to succeed and go forward and, and be happy in life. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody else is going to believe in you if, if you right. don't. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, Wendy, Hexus is in the you know startup phase to some degree. Uh, talk about where the company is at and how folks can learn more about you online. Sure. Where we are is really at that commercialization point. So, uh, ready to start putting plants in the ground and producing fiber for customers. We have pilots going on in Europe and in the U.S. Uh, we are building relationships with uh, corporations that we're testing with. We're getting ready to start a sort of hiring round going on. Uh, so it, it's it's very much an exciting time. We we I have to say a thank you to Cardio Women's Initiative for the funding that I received as part of my prize which got us through the summer to the point where we're able to really dig in and find the right support in terms of funding uh, and get a lot of things done this summer that has made a big difference uh, across the board for us. And uh, people can learn more about us at hexas.com, H-E-X-A-S.com, uh, and also on LinkedIn, uh, where we have a post about what's happening with the company. 
Super. Well, Dylan, Wendy, such a pleasure to learn about you two and your unique approach to life and work and uh, can, making contributions to society. Thanks so much and best of luck to you both down the road. Thank you very much for having us, Justin. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. And we're coming to you from Studio 49, a generous gift from UM alums Michelle and Lauren Hansen. A New Angle is presented by First Security Bank, Blackfoot Communications, and the University of Montana College of Business. With additional support from Consolidated Electrical Distributors, Drum Coffee, and Montana Public Radio. Keely Larson is our producer. Ella Hall is our production assistant. VTO Jeff Ament and John Wicks made our music, and Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. Thanks a lot, and see you next time.